You are in the home stretch. All that's left in your science fair project is to analyze your results and share what you've learned with others. So today we're going to join the final part of the science fair project session where we discuss the last three steps and a little bit about ethics. Hi, I'm Paige Hudson, and you're listening to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down the lofty concepts of science into building blocks you can use in your homeschool. Welcome to another conference session. Just like our other sessions, we'll be breaking this one up into three easily digested chunks, which we'll share over the rest of the month. And at the end of the month, we'll release the full video of the session. In addition to the individual episode posts, we will have a home for all the session's materials at elementalscience.com slash blogs slash news slash science dash fair. That's elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash news with an S slash science dash fair. Well, with that housekeeping out of the way, let's join the Eliminate Your Fears and Doubts surrounding the Science Fair Project session. So we need both those observations that we've written down in our journal, and we need the results that are specific and measurable. And we need both of those for step six, which is to analyze the data that we've collected. So step six is really the time for us to figure out what our experiment has told us. So the first thing we're going to do is review and organize all the data we've collected. Again, there might be time between when your experiment is finished and when you're actually doing this analysis and putting together uh, your analysis and your conclusion in the next step for your science fair project. So we want to start the process by reviewing and organizing the information we've collected. So we're going to read over our journal entries and note any trends in these observations that we've made. Then we're going to take our results and create any charts or graphs using that. So for instance, with the plant growth, what we'll do is we will create a graph that shows the growth of the plants. So we'll put in all the data points for on day 10, we measured test group one at one inch, test group two at two inches, and test group three at one and a half inches, okay? So we'll put in those data points and we'll it'll spit out a graph for us. So we'll have these graphs or charts from our results and we'll have our journal observations and we'll note any trends from that. And so as I looked through my journal for my project, I saw that all of the plants were healthy throughout the test. That's a good thing. So I also noted that the grass in test group one appeared to grow quicker than the one in test group two, and that the pots in test group two were watered more frequently. So those were the observations that I noted. And then I also recognized that from my results, I could see clearly on the graph that group one grew the best and that group two grew better than the grass in the control group. So now I've got some good solid analysis from reviewing my observations and my results, and I can go ahead and state whether or not I proved my hypothesis true or false. I want to go back and say and craft a one-sentence statement, starting with I found that or I discovered that, in order to be able to communicate my results. So for instance, after I've looked at the analysis of my observations and my results, 
I was able to state the answer to my question is I discovered that grass in my experiment grew best in potting soil. Okay. And you want to include in the statement I discovered and in my experiment, because we're making a statement about our results and our observations. We're not necessarily making a statement of facts such as grass grows best in potting soil, because there's lots of other factors and trials and tests we need to run to be able to make a blanket statement that grass grows best in potting soil. So we want to make sure that our statements are our answers. Uh, reflect the fact that this was something we found in our project. Okay? So in the case that you did prove your hypothesis false, normally a scientist would go back and formulate another hypothesis and start the whole process again. Um, for the case of a science fair project, you just need to decide, do you have the time to do something like that? If you do, great, go ahead and and go back and do it again. If you don't have the time for it, in your conclusion, you just want to say, we proved our hypothesis false. Here's what I think the answer might be, but additional testing would be needed to prove whether or not this is true, okay? So once we've got all this information in our hands from our students and all this analysis, uh, we want to write a concluding paragraph. So draw several conclusions about the science fair project. And in this conclusion, you should include uh, the answer to your question that you had in the beginning, whether or not your hypothesis was true, proven true or false. And if so, you need to talk about why. Any problems or difficulties you had with your experiment, uh, anything interesting you discovered that you want to share, and ways that you'd like to expand the experiment in the future. So that's what should be included in the conclusion for your science fair project. So we've done a lot of work up until this point. At this point, the students have gone through the six steps of the scientific method. But the final two steps of the science fair project give our students a chance to share what they've learned and what they've done along the way with other people. So step seven is going to be to create a science fair project board. So this is going to be the visual aid for their science fair project presentation. So it's important to be eye-catching and attractive. And remember back in step five when I said make sure you take pictures, that was for this science fair project board. So we're moving from the scientific method into sharing our results. And the first thing we're going to do is to plan. So we're going to plan out the pieces that should be on their science fair project board. And this is going to be easy because we've already done a lot of prep work all throughout. So basically, a uh, science fair project will look, will look like what you see here in the slide. In the center, we're going to have the title. And then below that in the center section, we're going to have uh, more information about the experiment. So your materials, uh, your procedure, a uh, photo collage of what you did, graphs and charts of your results should all be there in that center section because that's going to be what's going to be the most eye-catching part of the project. So we want to make sure that's front and center. And then on the left, we want to put things like the introduction, the hypothesis, and any research we had. And then on the right side, we want to talk about our results and our conclusions because we want to draw people in with our science fair project, and then they can read more about it as they look at it. So we're going to plan out uh, where these different pieces are going to go, what kind of pictures we're going to use, and how we're going to create some visual aids with it. So not just simple text, but maybe we're going to put construction paper behind that uh, so each of the sections stands out. 
Then we're going to prepare the materials. So we've written out our introduction. We wrote out our hypothesis. We wrote out our research. We may need to type those different sections out and get them ready. We need to cut out any parts uh, that are going to go on our science fair project board. And then we put it all together. So it's a beautiful visual aid for step eight, which is to give our presentation. And I really highly recommend that you have your students do these two steps. I know that doing a science fair project at home, we don't always necessarily have a huge science fair to participate in, although many of the county science fairs will allow homeschool students to submit projects. So you need to check with your county to see if your student can do that or not. Even so, uh, it's still worth doing a presentation or having our students do a presentation to their siblings, to their grandparents. Uh, if you have a co-op, to do a co-op together where people are doing these science fair project presentations because the process of preparing and sharing is valuable for our students to do. So in step eight, they're going to give their science fair project presentation. They're going to prepare it. They're going to practice it and then they're going to share it with a group of family members or at the local library or with your state science fair if they can. When they prepare their talk, writing an outline of it with uh, bullet points so they'll know what highlights to hit, their talk should basically be a walk through their science fair project board. So they're going to talk about their question that they came up with. Um, they're going to talk about their hypothesis that they had. They're going to share maybe one or two pieces of their research and then talk about how they designed their experiment, what they found out, and the conclusions that they came up with. Okay, then they're going to practice that. I hated to give speeches <laughs> because I was nervous to get up in front of people. So my mom would always have me practice my speech in front of a mirror because I tend to talk a lot with my hands which you probably have noticed. And having that practice, you know, practicing the talk in front of the mirror uh, helped me to see when my hands were distracting and when they were helpful to the talk. Okay, so practicing it in front of a mirror is good experience. And then also practicing it in front of the stuffed animals or in front of if you're going to give it at a local science fair, you might want to also practice it in front of your siblings or your parents or something like that. Okay, so practice it a whole bunch of times because then when you actually go to give the talk, it will be so firmly entrenched in your memory that your nerves won't get the best of you. Okay, and then when you share the presentation, uh, make sure your students arrive on time for their presentation, that they give plenty of time to set up their presentation board. You may also want to include a few materials on the table in front of it from your project and then give the talk and be prepared to answer any questions. If your students have done their project from start to finish, answering any questions won't be that difficult. Always have them end the time by thanking whoever was willing to come and listen to the presentation. So that is your science fair project from start to finish in eight easy steps. And then I want to, before we wrap things up and take some questions, I just want to talk about a few additional things that you need to consider when you're doing a science fair project at home. For your high schoolers, you want to do uh, projects 
that are a little more complex and have multiple tests. Remember, we talked about in the plant project how uh, you could test different plants along with testing different soils. So basically, you would test the different soils, determine which soil was the best, and then take that soil and test several different types of plants to see if that really made a difference. So your high schooler is going to have multiple different tests. Um, and then you also need uh, certain states. If you're going to enter into a state or local science fair, you need you might need to consider having a supervising scientist if you're doing projects with humans or animals because they can help you design an ethical test. And then you also need a supervising scientist if you're using hazardous or controlled substances. For example, our daughter was really enjoyed the experiment where you use lemon juice to remove copper ions from pennies and then plate them onto iron nails. And she wanted to test whether or not the strength of the acid uh, would make a difference in how the copper plating worked. So for her project, she needed to use some really strong acid. So in that case, she needed to have a supervising scientist or somebody who knew how to properly handle and dispose of the acids. So if certain projects will need supervising scientists, especially if you're participating with the state and local fair. And when you look into the state or local fair, they will give you the uh, parameters for what requires a supervising scientist. The other thing we want to talk about is ethics. We can boil ethics down to do not cause harm. So there are low and there are high risk projects. So a low risk project to your human or animal subjects would be um, how music affects memory. So observation or behavioral projects. So you're observing certain behaviors in your subjects. And these are considered low risk as long as we give them positive rewards and there's no stress involved in the project. So those are low risk projects and those would be ones that ethically would be okay to do. A high risk one would be a food project because we could run into issues where people have uh, gluten intolerance or peanut allergies that maybe they weren't aware of. And if we're doing some kind of food project that presents that, that's a very high risk project. If there's high stress to our subjects, things like uh, the effect of acid rain on goldfish, uh, you're going to lose a lot of goldfish in the process of this project. So that would be a high-risk project, and we definitely need a supervising scientist to determine whether or not that project would be okay. I ran across a student who wanted to test whether or not cats always landed on their feet, and their idea for their project was to drop a cat from 3 foot, 6 foot, 9 foot, and 12 foot to see if the cat landed on its feet. Ethically speaking, maybe not the best project to do for your science fair project. So that's something where, you know, a very high risk of injury to our test subject is possible. Um, and ethically, we really don't want to do projects that involve a high risk of damage to our, or high risk of harm to our test subjects. We'll leave that to scientists in the lab who have a lot more oversight and a lot more control. So you want to keep your risk low. Don't cause any harms to your test subjects. Okay. And if you are using human or animal test subjects, you always need to include a statement explaining your ethical treatment. So in other words, how you protected your test subjects from harm. Hazardous chemicals. We always want to dispose of those properly. 
So if you're not sure how to dispose of a chemical properly, ask. And then in your project, you need to, if you do use a hazardous chemical, you need to make sure that you explain how you disposed of it and rationalize your use of using them. For instance, in our daughter's plating project, she described how she used baking soda to neutralize the acid before disposing it, and then also explained why it was necessary for her to use a higher concentration of acid in her project, okay? So those are the kinds of things that we need to consider when doing a science fair project. I want to thank you all for coming. I hope that you can see that through these eight steps, it is possible to do a science fair project at home. And I want to encourage you to do at least one with your students in their homeschooling career. If you want to know more about doing a science fair project, or if you have questions, you can find me down in the elemental science booth. And of course, we have copies of the science fair project, a step-by-step guide with us down in the booth. So come down and visit us there. Thanks again for coming. And that, my friends, is how you wrap up your science fair project. I trust that doing a science fair project is now a lot less daunting than it was when we began to share this conference session. We've added links to several more tips and tools for the science fair project to the page for this session, which you can find at elementalscience.com slash blogs slash podcast slash 49. That's elementalscience.com slash blogs with an S slash podcast slash this episode's number, which is 49. If you still have questions, go ahead and leave a comment over there. Well, we've come to the end of season two, where we have been giving you an all-access pass into our conference vaults. I hope you've enjoyed these sessions. I hope you feel encouraged, and I hope you've gained confidence for teaching science. We'll be taking a break for summer, so we won't have any new episodes, but we'll still be sharing our monthly science tips throughout the season. Behind the scenes, I'll be working hard to get Season 3 ready for you guys. We'll kick things off in August with a five-day series that will help you get ready for the next year of science. And then we'll follow it up with 10 episodes where I'm going to share lessons that I've learned in my 10-plus years of homeschooling. It's going to be a great season on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you all. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week playing with science. This peek inside our conference vault has been sponsored by Elemental Science. At Elemental Science, our mission is to help educators just like you teach science. As part of that mission, we provide science fair project sheets that go along with the steps presented in this session. We also offer a book, The Science Fair Project, a step-by-step guide, which was the basis for this conference session. Visit elementalscience.com slash project to see how we can help you complete your very first science fair project.